we just thank you that tonight is about you. We thank you so much, God, for your love and for the anointing that you've placed on this man's life. God, and I just thank you for the message of forgiveness, God, and how powerful it is. And, um, and also just uh, break every word, curse, and accusation that's ever been spoken over this man, over any person in this room. And whether you've been that person who's spoken it, I just extend grace to you. And I just tell you that you can even forgive yourself for that. So, Father, we just step into a new season of forgiveness and restoration, God. And I just bless Eric. I just pray a daughter's blessing over him. And uh, we're so excited for what you have to say through him, God. In your name, amen. amen. So I have a quote for you. I just want you to know that God hates this message. He hates the message of forgiveness and restoration. I'm God. The enemy hates this message. God loves this message. Lord, give me a brain. If not an implant, an impartation, something. The enemy hates the message of restoration because the word says that God is love. And if God is love and we're humans, then we have to be committed to restoration because we're never going to be able to be perfectly God. So anytime that I speak on this, uh, there's always a certain level of uh, harassment sometimes. So I just love to get up and speak anyway. Um, I want to read a quote to you that hit me so hard. It was on Facebook, of course. Um, and it's just very simply the truth is that the more intimately you know someone, the more clearly you'll see their flaws. That's just the way it is. That's why marriages fail, why children are abandoned, why friendships don't last. You might think you love someone until you see the way they act when they're out of money or under pressure or hungry, for goodness sake. How many of you are bears when you're hungry? You know you're endangering relationship when you're hungry. Yeah. Sorry about that. I kind of jerked it off my ear. Uh, I'm going to take this off. Sorry. No, I don't have to. That's as far as the buttons go. <laughs> awesome. All right. If perfection were my goal, I'd be ashamed to sit down, but it isn't. My message is my goal, and it's good. So let me start back over with this quote. The truth is that the more intimately you know someone, the more clearly you'll see their flaws. That's just the way it is. This is why marriages fail why children are abandoned, why friendships don't last. You might think you love someone until you see the way they act when they're out of money or under pressure or hungry, for goodness sakes. Love is something different. Love is choosing to serve someone and be with someone in spite of their filthy heart. Love is patient and kind. Love is deliberate. Love is hard. Love is pain and sacrifice. It's seeing the darkness in another person and defying the impulse to jump ship. <laughs>
And so when I was, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's what I believe. Um, I don't have a lot of money, but my wealth is all in relationships. Much of my wealth is in this room. But I also have friends that I've been friends with for 30 or 40 years. I know I don't look it, but I am old enough to have friends for that long. And so tonight I wanted to just uh, briefly share some scripture with you and then do something that I've never done before. And um, I want you to hear the message. Um, actually, I've been emotional all day. Uh, I brought my own Kleenex from home. Um, so I want to share the word, and then I, I want to share with you why I believe in this so much. Because what the Lord did, I taught on this about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. And I had some really profound points. You should go back on EpicLifeOnline.com. And listen to those points, because they look so good on Facebook when I taught them. And I was looking forward to being profound tonight, because I love forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit was like, actually, I want you to do something different. Um, he wants me to share, um, we have what we believe, what we teach are circles of covenant. And so there are four circles. In the middle circle is the people who are the most significant people. I personally, I don't start dating someone, I wouldn't break up with someone. I wouldn't buy a car. I wouldn't buy a house. I would make no major decisions if I had not sought their input. And four out of the six people in my circles of covenant, the Holy Spirit was like, do you realize if you had not practiced forgiveness in all different kinds of ways, you would be missing those four people from your life and that sobered me a great deal. And I want to encourage you to ask Holy Spirit tonight for revelation for yourself on forgiveness. Because it's one of the most important muscles you can ever build. It's more important than your biceps, your triceps, your abs. Forgiveness is the most important muscle you will ever build. I wanted to read you part of our... We ask all of our leaders to sign guidelines and a leadership commitment once a year. It's at the end of January because that's when our year starts for Epic Life. And this is one of the things we are very committed to the things we read over it. We edit it every year. I've already edited the one for 2015 uh, this week. But I want to read to you how much we prize unity. We ask them to sign this commitment. We leave no unresolved issues among fellow believers and live at peace with all men as much as it is up to us, Romans 12, 18. We address any issue that could dilute our unity with the person we have a problem with. Having a personal face-to-face -face within a week or we step off the team until issue resolution. That doesn't mean that you took it before the Lord. You were like, Jesus, I have a problem, and I just want to resolve this between you. No. If you have something between you and another person, and you're aware of that, our expectation, if you're at a leadership level, is that you clean, take out the trash. Clean up your mess. Because whenever there is blockage, that's blockage. When we come together to worship, that's when the presence of God falls. 
But when we have things between us, that creates blockage to the presence. And I'll explain more about that because I put in the little blurb that we write, uh, God's unconditional, God's love is unconditional, but his forgiveness has conditions. And somebody was like, well, that sounds kind of legalistic. I'm like, no, it's not. My son can still be my son. But if you violate the intimacy between us, you've, you've violated the intimacy. You're still my son. Make no mistake, because I will not leave you. But you won't feel close to me, or I won't feel close to you. Does that make sense? So it's not you don't lose your salvation. You just lose what you're a son for, which is intimacy. I want to share some verses with you. Um, the Lord's Prayer, Luke eleven four, forgive our sins as we forgive others. And I remember reading that. I started doing this cute little Bible uh, thing on forgiveness. And I thought I'd just see what Jesus had to say. And Jesus said, forgive our sins as we forgive others. And the Holy Spirit started mentioning people to me. And I was like, oh, I want to be forgiven better than that. And it was like, great, forgive them. Mark eleven twenty five, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive other people, when? It's not if, it's like when. I love God because he's so for real. It wasn't like, you know, if someone's ever hurt you. No, no, no. When they hurt you. Because if you're in relationship and you're not getting hurt, you're not in relationship. I mean, I live with some great guys, but sometimes I tick them off so bad. I know you thought I was going to say they ticked me off. They do that too. When the when they sin against me, if I forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Luke 17, 4. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day. And I'm like, seriously, God, this is getting ridiculous. Seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent. You must forgive them. So it's not an option. If you want intimacy with God, you have no choice. You have to forgive. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave the way open for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's New Testament. And yet God says, I will repay. He never says that vengeance is ours. So forgiveness really comes down to the place where you let God be God and let him figure it out with them. The choice to forgive is making a commitment. Actually, walking in wholeness and complete healing can take time spent with God and others. So I was like, okay, how do I cultivate a heart of restoration and forgiveness? 
Because you have to realize God's plan from the very beginning was restoration. From the very beginning, even in the Old Testament, he was working on restoration. I want you to consider this. The enemy always wants to separate you from those you love the most. The people who are most significant in the shaping and molding and sharing of your destiny. Parents, spouses, brothers and sisters, biological and spiritual family. He hates unity and the commitment to forgiveness and restoration that Jesus died for. And so tonight, I'm going to, I share this verse often, Revelations 12, 11. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they faced death. I love testimonies, but a lot of times, guys, we don't want to give a real testimony because we don't want to be that transparent. I want to put a good light on it. I remember when I told uh, Chad Everett, who I'm going to talk about tonight, he's the first one, and I, he was telling me, you need to start giving your testimony because I was coming out of a sex addiction. And I was like, well, uh, that could be a little awkward right now, but I, you know, I'd be happy to in like a year or two when everything's clean. And he goes, that is not a testimony. That's history. And for the first time, I was like, oh, oh, you want me to be humble enough to tell a real testimony? He was like, yeah, the real goods. So tonight, I'm going to tell you some testimonies. And this is not all about these people treated me so bad. And, but I was a true man of God. And I sucked it up and forgave them. And so here I stand before you, a paragon of virtue, and I'd like to tell you how to do what I did, not once, not twice, but four times. That's not what this is about tonight. Um, a lot of times we build relationships on really superficial reasons. We play on the same sports team. We like the same music, movies, classes. We just keep running into each other. We used to go drinking together. We still go drinking together. We're in the same club. We're in the same Bible study. We're in the same fraternity. But when you intentionally choose to rebuild a relationship after something painful occurs, it's a cold-blooded choice. And you have to have good reasons to do that. I want you to consider developing the word covenant in your life. And I'm not going to talk about it anymore. So go home and look that up. Covenant. I don't covenant with everybody, but I do have covenants with the people that I'm closest to. And sometimes, simply because I committed my life to that covenant, I walk on with someone when it would be easier to walk off, when I want to walk off. I want to tell you Chad and mine's story. Um, I ask all these people if I could share our, the, our, my testimony with them, and none of them even asked me what I was going to share. They said, uh, Chad just texted me, sure. And my sister was like, sounds great. Um, Eric Knopf, I think he had something abusive in his text, which I forgave him for. Um, but I wanted to share with you just some stories. Um, I met Chad Everett. That's that guy. I met him in 2000. 
I think it was in the first month that I moved here. And um, he has pastored me for the last 10 years. He knows all my nastiest secrets, all my character flaws. He knows all my failures. Um, one day when I was having a really hard time not wanting to live in 2004, he, uh, I drove up in my garage and shut the door with my garage door opener, and I was crying when I drove up in the garage. And um, I was crying so hard that I couldn't hold the phone anymore. So I dropped my phone in the car seat, and I cried for about 10 minutes because I couldn't stop. So when I could gather myself together again, I picked the phone back up, and Chad was still sitting there. And he began to do what Chad has always done. He's always told me the truth, kindly, but told me the truth. But he's always painted my destiny ahead of me. I wanted to tell you a little bit about um, one of our seasons. Um, we actually hit it off really well right off, the, right off the bat. I'm exactly 20 years older than him. We actually went out to dinner one night, and this, the hostess goes, where would you and your father like to sit? So, <laughs> and he has that baby face. I mean, he'll look 20 when he's 60. So no bitterness here. <clears throat> um, and we lived together for three years. Um, Chad actually lived with me as family. He included me in his life. I included him in mine. We ate meals together. We talked together. We had so many fun times. It was, he was an amazing, amazing friend. We prayed together almost every night. And God taught me what it would be like to live with family. And it was during that season that I thought, wow, if this is what family feels like, I might actually like to have one for myself. It impacted me that deeply. He eventually met and became engaged to a woman that I thought was amazing, Sandy, and I love her more now than I did when I met her. They had a great engagement, never kissed till their wedding day. Uh, picture perfect wedding, and I was the best man. But about a month before that, we were all in transition, and his sister Christy, I'm gonna raise your hand, Christy was here, and her husband Roy. So Chad moved in with them, and then I moved in with them. So it was like, so I, I literally lived in the office, and then I would get up every morning and push my bed up against the wall and walk out. And um, during that time, like, Chad went a little crazy. And um, I was never, I've never been very materialistic. And so I had let our, our bills, I kept paying our bills, and it's like, yeah, we'll get to it. But I had a lot of fun things to do. We were always having fun. And it actually got up to $2,500 that he owed me. Well, it's getting down to his wedding, and I'm like, we should probably clear this up. And when I approached him, he was like, um, I don't owe you anything. And I'm like, um, can we go through these bills? Because I had them all, you know. He was like, I'm not going to pay them. So I thought, oh, he must be having a bad day. So I backed up. I was like, no big deal, because it was totally out of his character, nothing like him. So I approached him several times, and uh, I got the same response, and I started realizing he's not going to pay me. And so 
for those of you who know me, I have a catalytic personality, and I did bring it to a head one day. At his house, I chose a time when the Hamlins were all gone somewhere. And not only did he say he wasn't going <clears> to <throat> pay me, he started yelling at me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'd never seen him do that. It was totally out of character for him. So I was like, oh, my gosh. So it got really awkward. I'm his best man in his wedding. And I, I meant to have, I started to pull the wedding picture because if you could see it, I had the, my best man smile on. I've been in a lot of weddings, and this is it. That's how I was smiling in the pictures, and it still looks good today. Um, so I told him, Chad, like, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going on. So I go, why don't you have Roy be your best man? He's family. I'm just a friend. You know how friends are. I mean, friends disappear, and, you know, and Chad, this is during this time where he's yelling. He goes, I'm not changing anything. You're going to be my best man. That's right after he tells me all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so out of control. And so, um, anyway, I was his best man, and I smiled like a chessy cat. And uh, we took pictures, and so he went on his honeymoon, and I didn't hear anything from him. And so I was like, I'm not keeping these bills because I'd rather, I can write off $2,500. I'm not going to lose a friend over money because it's my stupidity for not doing you know, I mean, kind of moronic to let a $2,500 bill run out on my part. So I'm like, stupid should hurt. So I just threw them away. I'm like, I'm not keeping those. And um, about six months after their wedding, um, six months, because guys with restoration, we always wanted to hurry up. You know, we're like, if, it, if I can't microwave this and it can't happen in 45 seconds or less, I'm just not doing it because that's a lot of work, you know. And he called me one day and he said, can I come by your place? And I was like, sure. So he comes by and he walks in and he goes, typical Chad fashion. This is a Chad I knew. He goes, I have no clue what I was thinking. Will you forgive me? And I knew his character. And then he began to tell me, I said yes because I knew his character. What had happened was so unlike him, something had to be up that I didn't know about. And he had actually had some really extreme financial situations before that jeopardized another relationship. And he felt a lot of fear entering his marriage. And so he was like, I'm not going to pay you. Um, the man the next week gave me $1,000 on Sunday. And he said, if I could, I'll just pay you. He had a shop in the Bay that did work on cars. He said, I'll pay you the rest of it and work. Well, I didn't care. I was like, that sounds great. I don't even know how many times he fixed my car, but it went so far beyond anything he ever owed me. You have to value restoration more than holding on to your evidence. Because when we get hurt, we want to hang on to, this is why I'm so hurt. No. Let go. Throw your bills and receipts away. Because 
over the next six months, we started rebuilding our relationship. And he, he meant so much to me. He taught me what it was like to have family. So that pain hurt a lot. The enemy would come against my head with all kinds of suspicions. I would have all these thoughts because I actually did pretty good until he said he was sorry. And then we started the rebuilding process. And then I was like, whoa, wait a minute. That really hurt the first time around. I don't want to do this. And I would have all these thoughts, I, all kinds of things. You have to be willing to fight the battle in your mind for restoration. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In restoring any relationship, there will be thoughts that will come against your mind very powerfully because you don't want to be hurt again. You have to fight them like, the, like they are the enemy because many of them actually come from him. Because the truth was, when I knew Chad's story, when he shared what he shared, I understood why he had that momentary blip of crazy. It only lasted about a month. And I had three years of an incredible experience that healed me, restored me. It actually healed some things inside me that had never been healed before. And because I did fight that battle, and so did he, and we completely rebuilt our relationship during the time that I was so broken, because my mother died right before his wedding. During that time where I was so broken, I would walk into the back of church and I would look because I, I felt so alone outside the church. I was not going to walk into church and be alone. And I would look. If I could see Chad and Sandy, I'd go sit down. And if I couldn't see them, I left because I was there for relationship. And that's what we have to realize. Guys, until we learn to restore, relationship this way will never mean near as much as it will mean if we'll do relationship this way. Chet spoke the truth of my destiny over my life when all the evidence said otherwise. And I would have missed all of that if I hadn't rebuilt and if he hadn't chosen to do the same. The second story I want to tell you about is my sister, Sherry. Uh, my sister is two years and a day younger than me, but she's like my twin. She's an amazing woman. She has a great sense of humor. I love her because we're a lot alike, and I, I like myself. We're also a lot alike in the things that we don't like about ourselves. <laughs> but Sherry... Uh, gets me in so many ways. One of our family members became very ill with cancer. And up to that time, Sherry and I had always been close. We just had a natural. We were good friends. Um, but this family member began to tell me things about Sherry, and I just accepted them as truth. And um, as the person um, got closer to death, well, then the things that they said were more and more powerful. And after 
this relative's death, nobody in my family talked for six months. So I was alone. That was during the time, also, coincidentally, that Chad um, and I were apart. And that's why I'm telling you, the enemy always wants to separate you and isolate you from the people that you love the most. If he can get you to fall for his tricks, you're a sucker. He's got you. I started getting uh, convicted for all the horrible things that were in my heart towards my sister. So, and she was having the same thing. She lives in Dallas. So we started talking on the phone. And as we started talking on the phone, I would tell her the things that I experienced and she listened. And then she would tell me the things that she experienced. And I listened to her. And we actually not only cleared up all those things that were said, but we also took the trash out on a whole lot of things that happened over our lifetime. Today, my sister is one of the closest friends I have. I want to encourage you. Many of you have siblings that you may not be that close to. What I began to understand was Sherry and I grew up in the same home, but we did not have the same parents. Her relationship with my mom and dad was totally different than my relationship with my mom and dad. And so a lot of the things that I compared between she and I, when I began to listen to her, they weren't the same. And the things that I thought were so positive and she had it so good, she didn't. She didn't have it any better than I did. It was just different. It, and it just looked better because I didn't have all the information. The more that we talked, the more that we cleaned things up, I realized never choose to become offended about so what someone else supposedly said about you. Go straight to the person who supposedly said something and get the truth from them. Because after a while, if someone's always telling me negative things that others are saying about me, I begin to wonder, what is it about you that attracts people who are always talking negatively about me? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or people go, yeah, somebody agrees with me. They said the same thing. I'm, I, I couldn't tell you because I, I couldn't betray the confidence. I'm like, really? So... You just used what we call witchcraft here, manipulation and control, and you put a question mark behind every face. If you have people who do that in your life, back away from them. They don't care about your heart. They just want to make you pay. Never choose to be offended about what someone else says. Today, Sherry is one of my main intercessors. When I started this adventure five years ago, and the Holy Spirit told me to work with young adults and not look for another job, Sherry was one of the people who stood next to me. She's not rich, not at all. Somehow, in the first year, the second year, she managed to scrape together $10,000 to help me and gave it to me. It wasn't a loan. She's one of my major intercessors. Um, she sometimes calls me and tells me what I need. She's also somebody who keeps me straight. One day I said to her, Sherry, I want you to pray because a young woman has accused me of gossiping about her. I mean, she, I said that, and she goes, well, did you? And I was like, I was like, um, no. 
Not that I know of. She goes, well, ask the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. My life would be very different without my sister. She knows all my stuff. All of these people know my stuff. I want to talk about Eric Knopf. I love Eric Knopf. But our personalities didn't exactly fit. It was not like me and Chad Everett. Eric and I went to lunch because the Holy Spirit told me when I ran Brigade, you need to bring your ministry underneath the covering of what was then called, what was it? Identic. And I wasn't that excited about that because Eric has described Identic, and it was basically a nice thing to keep you guys from drinking too much, having sex until we could find someone for you to marry so you could still be good Christians. <laughs> That's kind of how Eric described it. I wasn't doing that. So I'm like, oh, my Lord. And then I came here, and I think for a year and a half, all I did was take the curtains up and put them down. I never touched this thing. It wasn't a lot of fun. <laughs> but as we started to get to know each other, I was like, I feel like, I actually gave him a prophetic word the first time he came to Capitol, and it freaked him out. And I told him God was going to use him. And um, that probably didn't help our relationship either. Um, but as we began to become friends, um, Eric began to teach me some things. What Eric taught me was to take care of anything oh, that causes division as soon as it surfaces. We both have really big egos, and we are strong-headed. So we gave each other the right. If we start texting back and forth and we start disagreeing, it's okay to go, uh, stop, let's stop texting. And once we say that, it doesn't matter if I just scored on him or he just scored on me. All texting stops. But at that point, Eric, because he's a business owner, he wants me to get in my car and he gets in his pickup and we meet somewhere in the middle. That was crazy to me. I'm like, we can just talk about it at lunch. He's like, no, let's talk about it now. Um, he modeled Ephesians 4.26, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I remember one time um, we were going at it, and so we agreed, okay, we'll meet at Starbucks on 65th. We haven't had one of these for three years, I think approximately three years. Uh, but we, we had some fairly regularly back then. And um, we go to Starbucks, and in the middle of our confrontation, I realized this is actually all about me. This man's heart is totally good towards me. But he's a leader that I'm submitted to, and I've had so many painful things happen through Christian leaders that he said some things and did some things that felt like they did it in the past. And I, was, I started, like, sobbing. Because Eric was like, this is not my character. I'm not who you're saying I am. And I kept presenting what I felt like was good evidence. But the more that I started listening to the Holy Spirit, instead of trying to win my argument, I just began to sob because I realized this is actually about pain. And this man needs, means nothing 
bad towards me. Everything that's coming through him towards me is good. So I want to encourage you, when you're working through things, stay open to revelation. Instead of justification for yourself and criminalization of your opponent. That's your brother and your sister that you love. If you didn't love them, it wouldn't hurt. I honestly can't imagine my life without Eric Knopf. I just can't. I've been so healed through our relationship, and he's, I don't know, 25 years younger than me. But he has allowed me. I have a very strong personality. I know that's a surprise to most of you, but I do. And he's allowed me to operate at my strength. He's also called me on my stuff. He's been an amazing friend. And he's spoken life over me at times where I needed it, but he's also checked me when I needed it as well. The last one I wanted to talk about is Nicole Romeo. Um, God spoke to Nicole. I asked I ask all these people if I could share these stories. And it was funny because I was telling Shaddy, he asked me what I was going to talk about. I said, forgiveness. And I'm going to talk about people in my inner circle that I had issues with. And I mentioned Nicole's name, and he goes, you had issues with Nicole? And I was like, that is a huge compliment. Because the more mature you are, the fewer people should actually know. They shouldn't be able to tell with the naked eye if I'm having problems with her. That's a powerful lesson for all of us. God spoke to Nicole about Epic Life a lot like he did to me. God told me to come here. And when she came, the Holy Spirit told her to commit herself to the Eric's, which is me and Knopf. I didn't know that because she didn't tell me. Um, we had an amazing year last year, and we learned a great deal. I learned a great deal through Nicole and what she brought to us. Um, she has razor-sharp discernment, and she used it to help a lot of people get free from spiritual bondage, including me. Um, and her testimony's coming, so she's on the schedule. You'll get that information. Um, but I began to resist some of the things that she said. I didn't realize it on a conscious level uh, until one day I embarrassed myself in a ministry setting, and I had a really strong response, which I didn't explain. I don't know how many people caught it, but she caught it. And she was aware of some of the stuff that was going on. Um, but once I realized that, I was like, okay, what is my problem? Because Nicole doesn't have a bunch of problems with other people. So if you look at somebody and they bring a lot of health to other people, and you're, you know, I'm the only one she's having problems with, that kind of isolates the problem, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I might be the problem. Sounds like, okay, let me take a look at this. Um, and as I traced it back, there were some communication things, like she would say things a certain way, and I didn't like it. But last year, we had so many things that we partnered with ministry-wise, and I saw so much the power of who she was that I was always going, oh, that's no big deal, that's no big deal. So I never gave her information that could have really helped our relationship. Um, 
But it got strong enough in me that when we sat down to talk about it, we used a really powerful tool that I want to encourage you guys to think about using sometimes. We set a timer in my phone, and so Nicole got to talk for three minutes, and when the three minutes was up, doesn't matter where you are, you can be mid-sentence. It stops. And then I got to talk for three minutes. Well, the great thing about that is when you get into those arguments, whoever's, whoever wants to hurt the other one the most is the one who goes, stop. You keep interrupting me. I'm not finished with my thought. Could you just quit? You're always running over me. It keeps all those accusations down. And it's really hard because, you know, it takes a little bit to get your head of steam up. When you're arguing with someone, you know, it takes a little bit to get that. And you get madder and madder, and then you let that little cuss word, I mean, you let that little word go, and, you know, you just, uh, And when you're about seven or eight minutes into it, baby, you're ready to throw down. It's like, she wasn't a girl. And ten minutes, you know. Well, in only three minutes, when you got three minutes, you're, you just start talking because you want to get your part out. But it also makes you stop. And then you can't talk anymore because you got to listen. And when we started going back and forth like that, because I, I try to, my goal is not to win. My goal is to restore. I started going, oh, homegirl doesn't have any information. Now, I thought she should. She's got discernment. You know, I don't know what the problem was. And I had given her some clues, you know, like looks or, you know, really expressive, like, she should have had it figured out. Unfortunately, I never used my mouth like a grown-up. And so as we began to go back and forth, I was like, oh, okay. But I had, like, built all this up over time. So I kind of had this paradigm. I felt fully justified in everything that I was doing and thinking because I'm just strong like that. I had to actually let go of those things because if I don't, then I lose the value of what I have. When Nicole and I are together and we pray for people, it's so powerful what happens. And watching her bless, I don't know if you know her very well, but she has all kinds of gifts and abilities that are amazing. I realized, do I want to shift my paradigm? You know what? It only took me a couple of days because I had let it be like that for long enough that I had to have a little few sit-downs with myself, no timer, Nobody else to talk to but the Holy Spirit, and he wasn't into three-minute conversations. So if you're the person who has to be forgiven and you truly desire to continue in the relationship, don't just cut and run. Stay. Acknowledge what you did and work at restoration. And I had two more stories I was going to tell you about the Lawrences and the Clarks. They had really good endings, but I don't have time. So we'll share that another time. 
Take care of little offenses appropriately. You can tell the substance of a person by what it takes to offend them. Orphans are easily offended and hide their offenses until it surfaces, justifying their choices and judging the other as an opponent. Sons and daughters know who they are and share issues as they become aware of them, working toward restoration with others. A commitment to unforgiveness makes you attractive to other bitter people, which gives you not only a soul tie to the person who hurts you, but change you to others who are committed to sin. Does that make sense? So I'm a justice person. I love it in the movies where, you know, somebody grabs the guy's daughter and takes her, like, out of the country, and the dad turns into this mercenary and does all kinds of unmentionable things to the person who did that. I love that. We personalize things. Like, it's between Nicole and I. No, actually, it was between myself and the enemy of my soul who wanted to keep all these strongholds in my mind, wanted to keep all these lies al alive. And so once I realized that's actually a lie, I was trying to think, what's the most devastating thing I can do to the enemy to really make him pay? And so I thought that the best thing I could do in this situation was to have Nicole come up and close the service. So if you'll all stand, she's going to come up. Uh, if the prayer team could come up, and she's just going to speak. I think my favorite part of that message is um, when Eric said, I walk on when it would be easier to walk away. Forgiveness is a, is a choice. It's, it's an act of obedience. So I didn't tell Eric, nor ask the guy up there to type this up, but going through the process of forgiving somebody for something when, or asking forgiveness, or even when you have to ask forgiveness, when you feel like maybe you're the one that was wronged. God said, if you have something you know that your brother has something when you come up to pray. You are to go to them. So it doesn't really matter who's in the wrong and who's in the right. It's all about that act of obedience, right? So um, <laughs> a couple years ago, uh, I met this woman named Roxanne. And she talked to me about matters of my heart, what was inside my heart. And she said to me, do you have any unforgiveness? And I was like, no, I know better because I understand the scripture. I got to pray about this and I got to release it, whatever, before I come up. I said, okay, that's good. So she walked me through what real forgiveness is. Because when forgiveness is a gift you give someone, you also take to yourself into your own heart and pull out the judgment you've been holding it would have been easy to go, why didn't he, why didn't he, why didn't he? The Lord was like, what's inside your heart? So I forgive X person, not because they asked me, not because they deserve it, but because God asked me to. It's a simple act of obedience. And then on top of that, I have to release them from my judgment. I can't walk up to Eric if he even ever looks like he could possibly be thinking something that is not perfectly in alignment with the word of God and go, hmm, 
wonder if he's thinking that I did this or that. I have to release him from my judgment. That means I keep no record of wrong. Sounds familiar, huh? Love keeps no record of wrong. So I wanted to walk you through this forgiveness. And I want you to close your eyes for just a quick minute. And ask Holy Spirit. Lord, who have I held unforgiveness to in my heart? Who do I need to let go of tonight? Who am I carrying around? And Lord, I ask this not because they ask me, nor because they deserve it, but a simple act of obedience because you've asked me to. So I want you to boldly say that person's name. Lord, I forgive and say the person's name out loud as an act of obedience. When you're ready, this is nothing I'm forcing you to do, but I have to tell you the level of freedom I walk in. It doesn't come easy. It comes by walking on when it would be easier to walk away. It comes by keeping no record of wrong. And it comes by telling myself some significant truth on a regular, consistent basis. That I often am the one who needs the forgiveness. Because I didn't take every thought captive. And my thoughts were running rampant just like that other person's was. So now that you have the person's name in your mind, Lord, I forgive X person. Not because they ask. Not because they deserve it, but because you asked me to, Lord. And Lord, I also release X person from my judgment, and I ask that you bless them. And you may also want to ask God to forgive you for holding that unforgiveness and release that person. Release them. The band's going to start playing while you spend a little time with Holy Spirit. Just listening in your heart. When I did this process, God gave me a significant number of names. Even after I had done regular forgiveness, I had not released those people from my judgment, so I held them. It's worth it to live in obedience.